0: Sarah Heppala.
1: Hi Nancy Rommelman.
0: Do you see where I'm sitting? I do. I, I'm in a bed. I'm in a hotel. I'm in a hotel room bed. Is that? A, is that? Um. Keep that going. What's Don't that let word? me stop you. Alluring or like drawing people, and I'm in a hotel room bed. Actually, here in a, in East Austin, Texas. So you're in Austin, Texas. I am. Yeah, I'm here. We were for an overnight. Went out uh, and had dinner with some just wonderful people at their place, uh, last night. And while we were there, after we ate, we were going outside. It was so balmy. And I looked up and I was like, oh my goodness. And it was, we were in the middle of, uh, an eclipse and, uh, Din, my husband very kindly this morning told me what that eclipse is called. Exactly. It is called the super flower blood moon eclipse. And, um,
1: it was pretty cool. Did
0: you see it, Sarah Hapla?
1: So I love the moon. I have a moon app on my phone, and I check it most nights and most mornings. But here's the problem. I fall asleep very <laughs> early, relatively okay. early. So so you had actually texted me uh, and said, like, it's happening, it's happening, and there's an eclipse. And I was like, oh, crap. All right, so... I went outside, but see, I live in this kind of very tree, like flanked with trees area. So I always have to like walk out to the edge of the street. It's like an ordeal to catch the moon at certain hours. And so I went out there, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, I think I missed the moon. And I was sad, but you didn't miss the clip.
0: No. Well, as a city girl... Uh, the minute I walked out, I was like, why can't I see all of the moon? Is that a tree in the way? And then the person whose house I was at, was like, no, Nancy, that would be the earth. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. <okay>. So um, <laughs> and then um, when we were driving back to Austin proper, I was sitting on the in the passenger seat on the left side and I could see it all the way. I could see it disappear. It was gone. I mean, it was it was really pretty quick. And then um, it was when it was over it, I can understand why they're kind of calling it a blood flower moon because it wasn't just like it wasn't like you would see like Dun, 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 eclipse like a little tiny fingernail. It was kind of like, um, like murky, pretty. And then, um, yeah, when the, we got to the hotel, we could see it was just kind of blotted out, like with, like with tissue paper. And uh, yeah, it was kind of nice.
1: Kind of oh, wow. nice. Wow. In a very twenty first century twist, I experienced the lunar eclipse on Twitter because I woke up at four thirty, <laughs> and people had posted photos yep. 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 from yep. all around the country and world, actually. Of yeah. what it looked like. It was tremendous. Yes. Yeah, um, beauty. you know, I think that flower moon, that's so interesting. So we were recommended that book, Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh. The David Grand book. That's a that's a book about Native Americans. Um, that must be a Native American term for or, or, or maybe, I mean,
0: who knows? I don't know. So obviously, I, I know about the book. I am going back to Oklahoma on Wednesday. The last time I was in Oklahoma, um, last year. Again, visiting my daughter who's working on the reservation uh, dogs. They were filming Killers of the Flower Moon down the road. Um, So who knows if it has to... I, I haven't read the book, but I think we will read it. By the way, hi, everyone. What's the name of this podcast, Sarah?
1: Smoke them if you got them.
0: That's right. Uh, so um, I did a little like roundup of 12 true crime books recently and said like if people... Thirteen. Wa- oh, thirteen. Yes. I couldn't really speak about Helter Skelter though because I hadn't read it, but you did fill it in in the... Um, okay. In well, the-
1: it's a default edition. It's a classic. Okay.
0: okay so I, I I asked if people wanted to have like a little true crime book club and people said yes. So the first book we're doing, and I'll, I'll announce a date of when it's going to be, is... Um, is the book that I'm reading right now, which is, what am I reading right now? I am reading um, The Snakehead um, by Patrick Radden Keefe. Um, who also wrote the book "Say Nothing," which I did talk about in the Roundup of Thirteen. It takes place, ex- and when I say exactly in my neighborhood in Chinatown, I mean exactly, like around the corner, and this place. So we're gonna. Um, so anyone who's listening to this, if you want to be part of this, go ahead and read that book. And I might do also like a little walking tour um, and show oh you, all, my God. yeah, like a little video walking tour. But we'll we'll also
1: talk about it. So um, we'll get the details together about that. And okay, uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start my movie club. What do you we think go. about that, I'm starting yeah. I'm, I'm announcing my movie club so that you don't um, upstage me right now and it's going to be <laughs> the the first movie is going to be Apocalypse Now. I just declared that. I just figured oh, that out. You know what? Actually, I wanted to rewatch that. So, can yeah. I be Sarah Heppler, Can I be in your movie club? Yes, ma'am, you can. Okay. And I'm going to do I'm going to do a walking tour of, of Vietnam. Vietnam on Google. <laughs> See guys, we're we are here for you. We are going all the way.
0: So that's why you should pay for these subscriptions so that we can send Sarah to to Vietnam. Actually, you know, uh, when I um so one of the reporting trips I was doing when I went to um, I went to Minneapolis for the Derek Chauvin trial, and I actually did say, "Hey, you know, because I'm, I'm a freelancer, I get paid for my articles, yeah. but the places I write for don't send me. I have to get myself there, just like I got myself to Ukraine." Yeah. Um, and I literally went on. I was like, "Guys, if you wanna if you wanna help me get there," and they did. People definitely hit that tip jar or wherever i had it at the time i guess it might have been on my Substack or a venmo and it got me to um it got me to minneapolis and back and it got me to ukraine and back and then the money i had left over i gave to uh chef jose andreas's um um uh organization whose name i'm forgetting it right now that that helps feed people around the world in crisis so uh yeah maybe we'll send you to vietnam sarah That's so cool.
1: I mean, A, yes, we should send me to Vietnam. B, uh, that's really cool that that people supported you like that. Mm -hmm. I considered doing this last year. I was so broke. I was unbelievably broke. And I wasn't sure I was going to finish the projects I was working on. I was so scared. I ended up just borrowing money from friends. I I had a hard time, like... (sighs) Like, did you find it at all embarrassing? To no, go you know online? what? Well, because you had, well, so you was had a specific, specific. project. It was
0: specific. I would never do that just because, like, I didn't. Could I literally could not my pay bed. my
1: rent and was like, well, what could I? Like, I was going to ask. Like, I'd seen other writers do this. I've actually seen other writers say, like, I'm freaking broke. You've read my stories in the past. Like, maybe you'll support. And I was like, I can't do that.
0: No, I I wouldn't do that. I couldn't. But for this specific thing, because also here's the thing: for something like that, it was. People, you know, People start trusting what you're writing. Like if you go to Portland, they trusted the writing I did from Portland. We shouldn't talk too much about this, but anyway, I didn't. And then I, you know, I made a pledge that I would give any extra money to an organization, and I did. So no, I didn't. I didn't feel bad about that. But let's let's not talk anymore about that. Because what's on your not, mind? What's fine. on
1: your mind today, Nancy? What's on
0: my mind today? So a couple of things. Um, we're gonna get a little bit into uh, her depth, but I read a few things. Um, we did talk about on the last podcast. Uh, sorry guys, that didn't that didn't drop this morning. We had some technical stuff go on, it'll drop later today, but we did talk about this article in Vanity Fair about this, um, fabulist, worse than a fabulist actually, um, named, um, Elizabeth Finch. And there was a part two of that article, which I just read this morning. So maybe we'll talk about that because I think it ties in a little bit with a couple of other things we wanted to talk about, uh, mutual abuse. And also the, the article you hit me up with this morning, which I read, which was about, um, certain people saying that the H.E.R.D. Depp it 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 denigrates people who are actual victims of mm-hmm. domestic violence, which I'm going to agree with that part. But the the reason I, I actually think you can do anything you want. Somebody is in the public eye, especially a public figure like Amber Heard and she, you know, they have this trial in public. People are going to make a TikTok of a, of a cat wearing a blonde wig doing, um, you know, t- saying Amber Heard's uh, uh testimony. And I think that that's fine. I mean, I think one thing we should do is kind of like work our way out of these terrible situations. But one yeah. thing I will say is correct. People like the Jennifer uh, Elizabeth Finch, we're going to talk about and, 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 is when you glom onto the pain of others for your own um for your own advancement or your own sunshine. I think this is an absolutely disgusting thing uh it, it's it's horrific. We were at a dinner last night and uh, the host was saying it's almost as everybody has auto Munchausen by proxy. you know Munchausen by proxy syndrome if people don't know, is when you fabricate, illness or pain or or trauma or devastation in someone else so you can appear to be taking care of them, right? So like, oh, my daughter, my poor daughter has a broken leg. Meanwhile, a she either doesn't have a broken leg, or you broke her leg in order to get yeah. this sympathy, and that's called Munchausen by Proxy syndrome. And I've written about this. I've exposed a woman that had it who killed herself and her daughter. Mm-hmm. But it's but this guy last night, and I think it's true. It's it's there's almost this auto Munchausen by Proxy that there's so much available pain there mm-hmm. on the internet or in a story that if you just feel like you need a little bit of attention, you can claim you know that it's happened to you, and there are plenty of people. I think they used to call them sob sisters back the day that are just ready to give you the sort of love and attention that you are saying you need for a couple of reasons number 1 because we're human beings and we do feel empathy and sympathy for people but also cuz it's super cheap to just feel that empathy and sympathy by clicking a little like it's not like you got to like drive across the country to like make this person soup you know you can you can instantly be like one of 10,000 people saying, oh, poor Felicia, we're so sad for you. And so I think, um, I think we're seeing, I I, I took away a bit from that, that article saying, no, you can't, you know, you can't, uh, I don't know, make fun or make other art or make other media from something as horrible as domestic abuse. But the problem is, I don't believe she is a domestic abuse survivor. So there's the initial problem there.
1: Well, I consider this like the overture to the longer opera that's about to follow of our conversation. So those were Nancy's uh, quick takes, yep, on, takes. <laughs> on what we're going to discuss, and now we're going to actually discuss them. I, I agree with most of what you said. I have other thoughts. I disagree with some of it, maybe just for fun. Maybe I really do. Um, And let's start with this Elizabeth Finch business. First of all, you started talking to me about this... Last pod, and which hasn't dropped things, yet. I, so. so I haven't. So, but it'll drop by the time they hear this. Right, right, right. So the, I don't. I didn't read this story. I, okay. Three different people told me about it. They yeah. were like, "Oh, have you read about the Grey's Anatomy writer?" And I, each time I was like, "Grey's Anatomy's still on. Still, <laughs> I still can't get over <laughs> that plot twist, which doesn't seem to be pertinent at all to this story." But I need you to help me here. Sure. Why? Who? Did she get hired? Like, okay. Was the fake cancer part of how she got hired onto this? Or was it something that she did afterward to make herself sort of exemplary and special? Did she get in over her head as a writer? Like, how does this start? So the answer is both, okay? The answer is
0: she had been on a different show. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. The reason I can't remember the name of it is because no one's ever heard of it. She was a writer on that show, but her dream apparently from when she, or or she says it was her dream. You have to understand with Fabulous, they're going to pull whatever tool they can, you know, pull out of the toolbox in order to get what they want. So it was her dream to be on Grey's Anatomy as a writer. She, I guess, tried out or submitted uh, and... Apparently they were going to hire her and then I don't know there was like some somebody on staff who was kind of like you know she's not really quite up to snuff I may be getting the word the the verbiage wrong but it was
1: was, she's lacking a little cancer is what they were thinking well
0: yeah that's exactly so but no she had the cancer already she walked into the Grey's Anatomy with this on her resume okay okay so when when there was a slight hesitation from someone and I don't know who it was I don't recall uh, someone else was like you know but come on she's got you know She's got the cancer, and you know it's a bad cancer. It's 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 a very difficult cancer. So she was hired. And what kind of cancer does she say chron- that she it's? Ch- ch- Chondrosarcoma. I may be getting, I may be sure. missing a syllable there. It's a it's a kind of bone cancer okay. that's not very common in women in their thirties. You know, you're okay. not. That's not the cancer you're going to expect, and it's apparently also a very very difficult one.
1: Sure.
0: So she came into the room, and she was um, apparently. Uh, kind of ebullient and, 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 and chatty when it was her, you know, when she would be talking about her illness, which she would work into various, um, into various episodes, right? Um, however, there were concerns even from the beginning that because of the cancer, Which she, by the way, and we talked about this last time, like she would like have her blouse and you could just sort of see the port. If people don't know what a port is, like in your upper chest area, it's the place where they can feed, you know, the fluids and medications and they just leave the port in there between um, treatments and chemo because instead of like keeping going in and going in and get your, your veins and stuff. Anyway, so you could kind of see it under her jacket and she would come in with a kind of a greenish tinge, but she needed a lot of time off. She needed time off to a get treatment, b take Personal time, like two weeks here or whatever. And they would give it to her because who wouldn't? You're, you know, you're you're a monster if this happens. But what would happen? I mean, Sarah Heppelhoff, you and I are are building a wall and I have to like dip out every third brick because <sighs> I'm this like, is I such can't, a
1: bizarre I can't, hypothetical, but please yeah, keep what, <laughs> going.
0: We might you might need a wall. Um I do. So, So, um, you know, people would, would, would chip in, which is what you do. Obviously we do this when someone is sick or hurting, but this was for years. Okay. I think she was on the show for something like 10 years. Right. And she lost a lot of time, but, but here's the deal with people like this. Okay. It's not enough to have a cancer. Okay. Because just having a cancer at a certain point, you know, it becomes, it becomes normal. Right. So you have to up the ante. So what do you do? She had a kidney transplant. All right, I have to get a kidney transplant because of the chemo from the cancer. So she had the she had that. Then she had to have that someone in her family committed suicide. It was her brother. But the brother that had committed suicide, she'd also accused of this horrific horrific abuse when she was a child. Oh, no. So it just goes on and on and on. And this is the person now that you can't you can't and still be like in quotes, a good human being for getting like a little pissed off or like irritated that this person is constantly, but, but also, also let us say, it was always like, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't, do not make any special amends for me. No, 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 please don't drive me to Kim No, no, no. It's fine because I'm a big girl. Well, we talked about the story last time, so I'm not going to become redundant, but part two of the story, which I had not read until this morning, was, uh, uh. About a woman named Jennifer Beyer. Uh, she lived somewhere in the Med- Midwest, Kansas, can't remember. She had been in a horrifically, seriously abusive marriage for five years, five children. She had suffered like pretty bad physical abuse, uh, broken bones, marital rape, beatings. She was a nurse, a very, this is important to the story. She was a very, very good nurse. People said like she was like the best nurse they ever had. Anyway, she finally separated from her husband. She gets a restraining order. And she winds up, she's in such terrible shape that she winds up at a, like a hospital retreat of some sort. And there's someone else there, another woman, who they really bond over the fact that they've got a lot of the same trauma. Not that the woman has uh, has children or a husband like that, but she had been terribly abused by her brother. The woman's name is Joe. They become very good friends. They wind up rooming together. And then as they're getting out, the woman admits that her real name is Elizabeth Finch and uh, she is a writer for Grey's Anatomy and they become extremely close uh, and Jennifer Beyer, like winds up going out and staying at her beautiful house uh, in you know in Ohio and they fall in love and uh, oh my they, goodness and they get married uh, and oh meanwhile my. she's just you know Elizabeth Finch is like constantly helping out when the woman's got to go to court for her husband and the children and she's there. Well, unbeknownst to Jennifer Beyer, uh the Grey's Anatomy story now that, that Elizabeth Finch is creating, she's now appropriated the pain of of Jennifer Beyer, which, you know, you could say is okay. I mean, art begets art, thought begets... That's how we make what's songs. The, that's how what's we,
1: the Joan Didion line?
0: Uh, about... A writer,
1: a writer is always stealing?
0: Uh, it's... Yeah, um, I can't remember. We Something used with, like
1: that. Like yeah, like uh, yeah. Basically, writers are assholes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's you know, look, we if you are above board about that, that's fine. But she wasn't, and it was also just a lot worse than this because, as time is kind of moving on, and we again we have really good show notes, guys. You should go and go and look at them. Um, we will have uh, links to all of these pieces. Um, she starts catching. She starts catching Elizabeth Finch in little lies, as she would, because she's a nurse, right? So mm. she says to her at one point when she, like, she, Elizabeth Finch, it's like, you know, people that are like this, when they need more attention, they create the next thing. So I guess Finch needed some attention, and they they wind up at a hospital. And she's like, oh, I've got to get, oh, I'm feeling so sick. She needs attention from the doctor. Yeah. And, and Finch says to the doctor, not Finch, Byer, Jennifer Byer says, well, be careful because of her cancer. And she's like, oh, what? And and she's like, yeah, be careful because it might be bad for her kidneys. And so they put her in the in the what's uh, oh, the MRI. And the doctor comes out to Byron says, "Are you guys married?" And oh he's the, she's like, "Well, we're engaged. We're going to be married." He's like, "Her kidneys, plural, are fine." Oh God! So now Byron's got some questions. He's got Byron's remorse. It, yeah, Byron's remorse. That's so the name of this story. That, this episode. So we go. It goes on and on. It there's there's more details. It gets worse and kind of disgusting but she um she she confronts her like with small things like why okay, don't you have what don't you how disgusting yeah. what do you mean disgusting in terms of the appropriation of what oh, she's doing okay, like of morally this woman, disgusting yeah and saying things like my brother so so it turns out a uh, buyer the one with the five children her husband commits suicide and they have to like clean that up. But she's got these five children. She's trying to, trying to take care of. And their father's committed suicide. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, oops! Jennifer Finch's terrible brother, who had all the sexual abuse, he commits suicide too. You know, I, oh, wait, you're getting attention for this. I need attention too. So she catches her in like some Like I did lies. with
1: my with my movie with my movie club.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't let me have like five minutes of I sunshine, did. Sarah okay. lot. Heppel- I'm sorry. That's the end of this podcast. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, no, I'm
1: ending the podcast.
0: No, I'm ending the podcast. <laughs> so anyway, she catches her like things like why, you know, what kind of drugs do you want for your cancer? And she names one. And, and because buyers and she's like that would never happen. That would be contradictory with kidney disease and it would kill you and be toxic. And she's like, why don't you have a port, or an actual port scar? So she catches her and then she makes her basically come clean. With Grey's Anatomy. Oh, and it turns out not only did Finch's parents not even know about all of this, her brother is alive and well. It was just this anyway. So, but here's something. So when Finch is forced to come clean out, which is why we know all of this, because this I'm I'm kind of amazed these days at how quickly these stories are metabolized and and put into the public view. One reason is because we as readers. And consumers of these things, we demand it. It's not like seven years later, you find out about this stuff, somebody, you know, it's, it's, we need these instantaneous hits. So this was in March, we are now in May. Okay, Middle no way. Of,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. March, was, that this doesn't even I, make sense with a, they, with a, with a, with a nope. magazine schedule. This must have they,
0: been online only. Maybe uh, it's vanity Fair vf.com so this they didn't meet till 2019 and the denouement oh, is in like I think march 31st just when I remember when she wrote it. but here's the interesting thing and we're going to talk a little about, bit about this in terms of my book later people that are caught in this like let's say you and I perpetrated this the the shame and humiliation would be so horrific Mm -hmm. that you would do it and then you would you know you'd put on the hair shirt or you'd like you'd self-flagellate forever or move to some like you know a toll in the in Polynesia and never be seen again absolutely well no not with these people they become cold as ice Hmm. they're cold as ice they're like yeah yeah apparently apparently Finch went into the you know Grey's Anatomy office and blah 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 and just said it like stomped around and left because guess what I will bet. Do you remember when I said I would bet my right leg that Amber Heard did not write that Washington Post uh, op-ed, the opinion piece? I'm
1: so glad your right leg made it through that. And
0: I that was more than a month ago. It was more than a month before the ACLU admitted that they wrote it. I will bet my left leg that Finch will very soon, if not already, have her next her next game because yeah. that she is a, she is an organism that needs her food is the misery of others. That is how she survives. And That's there's plenty cool. of misery in this world, right? She will be on to her next, her next game. I, I absolutely guarantee it because these people don't, this is, how it's like if someone said to you, okay, I, all right, I'm going to say Sarah Heppel's sorry, That's your oxygen. You can't have oxygen anymore. Okay, why? You're going to dip? No, you're going to find other oxygen. So,
1: her food is the misery of others is either the name of an essay you're going to write about this or a country song you're going to sing. I, I think I should do both. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, the only episode of Grey's Anatomy I want to see is an episode where the writers of Grey's Anatomy (laughs) learn that one of their writers has been perpetrating a fraud on them for multiple years. But you could do that
0: so easily. You don't have, you could make it a hospital. I mean, isn't Grey's Anatomy, I think it's a medical show, right? You could have someone on staff there that has been completely fabricating. And and who better to fabricate an illness than a doctor? Because you know how to do it.
1: Right? So, um, yeah. Let me ask you a question, a yes, sort of ma'am. broad scope question about this article. Why are women so obsessed with stories of other women that are frauds? And what I'm thinking of here is that Inventing Anna show that I didn't watch and the dropout about Elizabeth Holmes that you and I watched some of, the Theranos, 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 Theranos. Um, uh, I didn't like either of those shows, by the way. I love Amanda Seyfried. That's what I'm going to say.
0: Yeah. And I will say that Bad Blood um, by John Carreyrou, the book, I, I, it's one of those books. I actually sat on the couch and like, didn't get up, like went into the kitchen to make a grilled cheese so I can go back to the couch. I read it, I think in one go, it's an amazing book and we will do that for book club too. Um, but um, I I couldn't watch the show.
1: I just saw that there was another fraud, like a, a Brooklyn hipster fraud that was making a movie with Mindy Kaling. Why is it that we are so obsessed with this that it it's also happening at the same time that there is a feminist insistence in believing women? Riddle me this, Nancy Rommel. Well,
0: I think I can. So, you know, we we often, you know, because maybe because 90% of violent crime is committed by men, we we think of, you know, men as creating these things. But women are unbelievably good at subterfugial, uh stories and crime. I mean, you know, remember uh, the Borgias and Poison, right? Um, there is absolutely, there's sort of this feminist push, like, believe all women, women couldn't do that, women don't lie. This is absolute nonsense. Every single person, including right now in this room, know women that have lied horrifically, know women that have done, you know, kind of underhanded and terrible things. So I think when we see women that do it on sort of a grand scale, I wrote about, you know, Laura Albert, who 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 masqueraded as this, you know, transgender teenage, uh, HIV positive uh, teenage Boy, um, for years. The writer
1: J.T. Leroy and I just Leroy. want to make a, a plug for somebody. If they haven't read this story, I actually read this story years before I knew who Nancy Ramon was. I was obsessed with this story and the James Fry story, uh, and I read her story in the LA Weekly without without knowing that she would one day be my partner. Yeah, uh, it's a
0: good. It's a good piece. It won. It's the, a really uh, good piece. It won the National whatever Alt Weekly award that year when it came out. The angel little- the AANs, a little, no one knows what that is. When you say the AANs, they're like, huh? Um, but um, I think when we when we see it perpetrated on such a grand scale, there's like this part of our brain, whether it's our lizard brain or whether it's our personal memories, they are like, aha, yes, I know, I know that behavior. I've met women like that, and you, you know, there's part of you. I, I have to admit, when I when I saw Elizabeth Finch sort of unmasked. I was glad because, you know, you mow down a lot of people in the process and you don't care. You, they just don't care. I mean, when I spoke with Laura Albert, like at length, because I sat sitting in her apartment. And I'm like, you know, Laura, like, how about all the people that you like took money from and that feel incredibly betrayed, like the writer Dennis Cooper, who she talked to on the phone, like two hours every night as JT. Ah, Dennis, I just won't commit suicide. I hate myself so much, please. Oh, help me. Oh, beat me. Oh, tell me this. Like, and he did. And then you find out that this was like a. You were taken in and you feel betrayed. And she's like, Well, I don't know why he would. Well, first of all, she said, She Laura said such terrible things to me about mm. Dennis Cooper, who only helped her mm. as far as I could deduce. My the weekly, the weekly who would print anything wouldn't print them. It's like, We can't, we can't. Yeah. It's so vituperative and so disgusting. What, some of these things that people do, that they do not care, that percent. they have, that people feel so betrayed that when you see them get their comeuppance, which is just such a great word, comeuppance. What a what a great word that is. Um, I did feel sort of, I felt pleased, not because I want to see them punished so much, but because the people that have been tell. That they've been saying, these things are happening to me. They're like, no, you're crazy. Because the perpetrators always blame it on the people. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I was the abused one. Oh, she's telling you she's abused. No, no, no. I'm the abused one. And then when finally they're heard, there's a measure of satisfaction that the person that's actually been perpetrating these things, and in these cases, women. I mean, they're—sorry— well, obviously there are going to be men that perpetrate long game cons. Well, well, there's of con course. men are,
1: are famous and fabled in movies and books. I mean, you know, you think about like Catch Me As You Can, or like I just mentioned James Fry. Like con men are classic uh, narrative characters, uh, much loved and followed. But I guess, you know, the thing is, is that like confidence men, which is what it's short for, um, you know, is maybe a a gender miss you, you know misnamed it there because because it's con, it's con people can we call them con people you know no, what i think i i wonder if this is true so when we think of Con
0: artist. I mean, there are like you know, kind of like the little that might con a lot of women into love. Dear John, oh, th- that was that, the, that podcast right, was huge, right. and that was. But also, that has that. First of all, that was a great podcast. Uh, uh, I have mixed Dear feelings John, about it. John, something was it? Dear Dirty John? John, Dirty John. I, I I liked the the first the first season very much. I wonder though, like that was for like um, conning and stealing money, right? I in but my it was ex- a love con. It was a love con. It was a love con. In my experience and i think in the big stories but maybe it's just the ones we hear about n- n- when men are conning it's for like money okay you think of like even like the big uh, uh uh not enron like you think of enron or you think of other companies that have like pulled these long cons right it's for money so women it's emotions they they are they are conning you out of your I mean, belief too, well, and, and
1: ambition not- too. Ambition—it's a little bit of a career ladder move. I know, I know, women that have conned their way into like—I want to—I suddenly remembered this story about a like a a con woman that that I uh, wrote for me at Salon. Tell me, let's hear yeah. about it. So I completely forgot about this, but this was sort of the subject of uh, somebody did an expose on her in one of the LA papers. It was pretty lengthy. Her name was Anna March and that was one of her names yeah this sounds very familiar so go keep going I don't remember how she came to me but she wrote for me at salon and she would write these really provocative stories that would come in very messy and then I would clean them up as an editor and you know that's something I have to do I'm not bragging it's just part of the job some people especially if they're writing fast write pretty you know hectic yep. and unfocused. And, you know, the hardest thing to do is to do that and then deal with the ego person that's like fighting you. And Anna was always like, Oh my God, this is amazing. So I really liked working with her because she would go on Twitter and be like, Sarah Heppler is an amazing editor. And I'd be like, because of my Munkhausen by proxy situation would be like, thank you. <laughs> I'm so, you know, cause, cause as an editor, you have a little bit of an interesting mixed uh relationship to the attention that the writers get for stories sometimes you're proud to stand in the background and sometimes you're sort of like god damn it i wrote that piece so um she but this funny thing started happening uh around the time that i got my book deal now i got my book deal for blackout in 2013 And, you know, it was announced in the trades. I didn't really talk to people about it. I mean, I got a fair bit of money, which, you know, I was a little bit freaked out at the time because a lot of my friends were just like, I don't get any money. And I was like, shit, I got a lot of money. I don't want to say anything about it. So anyway, she started kind of like she I think she identified me as like an up and comer or something. But like this weird thing happened on a Valentine's Day where I. Oh no, it was right after I got the book deal. Uh, some my okay, so so my 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 mail comes to the front house. I live in a back house. And the, the lady at the front house goes like you have flowers. And I was like so and so bought me flowers because I was like in love with so and so and I was like, "Oh, he did that thing." I can hear you whispering, Nancy Rommelman. put yes. yourself on mute. Now she's saying Keep no, going. Keep, keep going. going. No, keep going. Okay. Um so okay, so they ordered um there were there were these beautiful orchids i mean like purple orchids like like almost like a hundred of them and i was like what the hell and then i looked at the card and it was like congrats anna march and i was like um that's so weird it's too, it t- it too, too much it's too it's much it's too much And then she invited me out to her, like, she was like, if you need to stay anywhere, come to my, come to my pad in Portland or Los Angeles or something, you know, and I'm like, I'm always broke. I'm like almost (laughs) always broke. And even when I have money, it's like somehow I I owe it to somebody. Like, I'm just like, I'm like a, I will always like silly putty reverts to form. I'm just always going to go back to broke.
0: (laughs) No, you're not. We're Maybe. breaking that
1: form, not not, <laughs> not yeah. Until smoking with God, but anyway, um, that, that's this is just my desperate bid for people to be It's right. The only reason
0: we've done this podcast, guys, we've it's been the long it's been a long con. Here we are, they're, they're taking away the my today. you got to give money. Wallace is Wallace <laughs> is going out the
1: door. No, Wallace is fine. So anyway, um, uh, okay. Then at Christmas, I got this giant wooden crate. It must have been so much money to mail. I can't even imagine. And I opened it up with like, I mean, you had to like get like, like a hammer out to like take off the nails and open this thing up. And it was like chocolate from around the world and coffee Oh my god! and crap. And I was just like, and I was like, please don't tell me, please don't tell me. And then I looked at the card and it was like, love Anna March. And I was like, what? This is, is this, okay. happening. Okay. All right, so a couple things.
0: Number one, I rem- I completely remember Anna March. I remember her what her little Avi looked like on Twitter. I was someone who read some of her stories. I was someone who communicated with her. I was looking just now on my my DMs on Twitter to see if I she was still there but it, it wasn't. I don't remember. But I also remember when she started to get exposed and I remember her like saying something like, you know, I'm just getting this pile on Nancy and everything. It's like, well, yeah, now she's gone. who knows where she is, who now, who knows how, where, where she's, she's, she's gone on to what she's doing. We might be able to find out. Maybe I'll look into that. I will say that Laura Albert was famous for sending people gifts and this is how she would do it. It wasn't that she went out and spent her own money and got gifts. Like she had someone who was the chocolate maker and the chocolate maker who loved her and had like all this sad stuff for JT, JT would call and go, I, cause this happened to me. I got this little beautiful chocolate perfume in the mail. It's actually this great stuff because JT was like kind of friends with this perfumery perfumer who's actually kind of famous who then sent it to me as a gift from JT.
1: It's just, bananas. You're you're reminding me that one of the details in the story was how she would stiff all these writers. Like everybody was doing these, Anna March, she was doing all the, they were doing these projects with her and then she wouldn't pay them. And she had portrayed herself as quite independently wealthy and like having three book deals that were very lucrative. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, I, I got I to look, look into I what I feel to her. so bad that that stupid money went down my mouth eating chocolate that I didn't need. I but mean, she didn't pay for that. that she didn't pay for that she got someone
0: she got someone to pay for that for you there's no way she spent her own money doing that unless i mean she could have if she saw like a longer game with you it's like i mean what okay what is what is the long game for something like that not that i think that these con people as i said if they're if they get their sustenance from other people's misery or other people's success right how like I don't know how far in the future she's thinking, but she is thinking that you've got a book deal so you could be useful to her in the future. That's what that's well, about.
1: she's a climber, and she, but she also wasn't a complete fraud. Like She put together an event in Portland that Cheryl Strayed went to. And so Cheryl Strayed had presumably fallen for this. And I, I went to it as well. It was me and Cheryl Strayed and a couple of other... Steve Almond, who was doing the Dear Sugar podcast with her at the time. I, I think I was there. No way. I at, think so. Uh, what's it called? What's the bookstore? At Powell's. Powell's. Yeah. It was yeah, I was, there. I was there. I was there. Upstairs at Powell's. Oh, Linda, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Lydia Yuknovich, who's a great uh, yes. writer.
0: I was there. I was there. I was there. I didn't go to the party afterwards, but I was definitely there because I remember Steve Almond being there. And he and I had some other... But well, but here's the thing about Cheryl. I know Cheryl. Cheryl's super nice. Yeah, she is. She's really nice. And here's the thing about people that don't lie. We said this last time. I think the 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 name of the I don't think we've named the episode that hasn't dropped yet. But I said to you that people who lie endorse lies, right? So Cheryl is a nice person. She doesn't lie. Cheryl works extremely hard to get under the nub of her truth, even when it's unbelievably painful and and really, really, really hard. And she takes that. And she gives it away. So when someone comes up to you and portrays themselves as, you know, an Anna March or J.T. Leroy or uh, Elizabeth Finch, you believe them because you're not the type of person that is going to lie about, you know, being raped or having your brother commit suicide or the fact that you're a you're a transgender teenage HIV hooker. Like it wouldn't occur to you to do that. I mean, oh, I don't think so. Sarah, you just Helm, reminded are you me another? What are you gonna ask me? Are you really who you say you are? But go Absolutely ahead. Absolutely not. No, yeah, yeah,
1: I no. I I was committing fraud. And I would to talk about how the, the frauds that I used to commit as a child because I was really into this game. But I she just reminded me that okay, so Anna was um she was like emceeing the event. And one of the things she said at the beginning was like how every time she does an event, she gets all these men sending her dick pics. And she was not No, she was small a and super round attractive lady. And I turned to, uh, Mary Naomi, who was an awesome comic, uh, artist that was right next to me and really super cute. And I was like, do you get dick pics? And she was like, no, never. And I was like, okay, I just was wondering. And I actually like had a little thing in my head. Like I really did do this thing where I was like, why don't I get dick pics? You know, isn't that a funny thing? Because it's, I don't want them.
0: I do think I, I definitely Only do think from a this few is
1: people.
0: I definitely One. do think this is generational. Uh, you know, that people that are that grew up with, you know, the iPhone when starting from the age of 13 or whatever kind of camera phone, it you're gonna get it more because when you're 13 and 14, you're an idiot. Maybe you grew up doing that and it's normal. It's a normal currency to send a dick pic. I don't get them either. But there is this certain like Pride. I mean, she's proud. I'm not saying you have to be attractive to get dick pics. Really? Who the hell knows? I don't know. I don't get them, and I.
1: I'm I'm skeptical. They arrived. I really am. Like I am. Yeah, but I mean, I'm skeptical. But I. But I don't know. She also wrote a story for me about loving her tatas. Um, Well,
0: I I I can get down with that. But me um, too. Also, if if we can have a public service announcement, announcement, don't don't send dick pics to someone that doesn't want them.
1: Just just well, okay. Let me just say it this way. Don't send unsolicited dick pics. Exactly. Like, like ever. There's, there's no, there's no exception. Mixed if up. they have been solicited or you have a good sense that this would be welcome and you want to ask no, if this would be welcome.
0: It's so funny. like People, I,
1: cause I know people that have received them and
0: they're like, what is this? And the guy's like, I thought you'd like it. It's like, why would you think that?
1: I'm okay, like but, sitting here no, but, making okay, a but cheeseburger. Sorry. I know. Well, okay, here's the <laughs> thing. Here's the thing. I often hear somebody say, there is no woman that wants a dick pic.
0: No, Asterisk, that's not true.
1: That's not true. No, that's not that's true. Not of that's true. True. It's not true. That's not true. There of it's are not. many, some of us at least, that enjoy the exchange, that kind of erotic exchange. Careful, Sarah Heppela.
0: Why? Wait, are you are you sending out an engraved invitation?
1: No, I'm okay. saying Don't tell me I'm asking for it. I'm I'm telling you the truth about the world. And so uh, so anyway, on rare occasion, and I mean like one. This is a party of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got it. I have been the recipient, the happy recipient of that information. Now, I have been the unhappy and confused recipient of startling unsolicited dick pics. One of which came from a dude that I had gone on a date with and he was really cute, but he just was like struck me as a little anxious and he drank too much and he was like fitful and sweating. And I just I didn't like I was very busy at the time. I didn't want to see him again, but he kept sort of, you know, hey, what about this? And he kind of wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and and I was trying to be nice about it. And then one day he just sent me like a a picture of himself masturbating. Like it was hard. Oh, And it seemed to be like coming coming at the camera. And I wrote back, what the fuck? And he wrote back, oh, my God, my friends got my phone. Oh, yeah. And they sent this picture to you. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you need new friends. And he was like, why? You don't like it? Crying emoji, laughing emoji. And I was like, block. He's the only person. I mean, other than spam callers that this is I a, have blocked because I just a, was like there's nothing here for me.
0: No, and this is also like this is a person who can't get your attention in the way like oh hi, do you want to go on a date? No, 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 I really don't. Are you sure you don't want to go on a coffee date? No, I really don't. Thank you so much. Like it was fine, but we're not going to do this. And it's like, well, well then you I'm sending you this. I can't get the reaction I want from you, so I'll just get any reaction. I'll get the reaction of shocking you or whatever. It's so it's so immature and babyish and gross and disgusting and don't do that. Uh, then all oh, the, the my friend. Yeah. My friend. I happened to just take this picture of myself masturbating and then my friend somehow unlocked my phone and of everybody he could it send it to just said it's just it's nonsense. Okay, let's get off that. I'm, it's morning. I I can't. Um what else were we we were gonna talk about um
1: Can I say something about the fraudulence piece? Because which, I think what which, I mean is like why are people watching these movies about female frauds? Yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. the other part of that puzzle might be. Women are, like, very prone to imposter syndrome. And we read about this a lot. Women's lack of confidence. And you'll see a lot of feminist critique around, like, how women will abdicate leadership positions because they're like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Whereas men will be like, sure, I'll do it, even if they don't know what they're doing. And this was one of the things that, like, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In was supposed to disrupt was this idea of, like, like fraudulence that women have. And I think that there is a schadenfreude um, that women experience when they see someone who is a real imposter, like being unmasked.
0: Yeah, but they also, but like you said, they also kind of... Like it or identify with it. I had a writer a couple of years ago, actually an excellent kind of, I think, national magazine award writer guy who I'm not going to name, who said to me, you know, men um, historically and still because they generally have more body mass, uh, they they win fights physically. If there's like a physical fight, they're going to win the fight, or or they're going to dominate over women because they're just bigger. Women had to be uh, cagier. Right? They had to be the Lucretia Borgia that used poison. And he said he thought that online was just the poison women were waiting for, in a sense, because here mm-hmm. they could enact whatever they wanted to do that in the real world, maybe they couldn't, whether because it was a physical thing or because they just felt that they could have more power online. A, they could be anonymous. B, they could be part of a mob, C, they could have less accountability, but still do the damage. Mm. And I, I, that kind of rang true for me because in my experience, and I would, I, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners. We've had a lot of, (laughs) no, listen, all seven of you. Speaking of Lucretia Borgia. No, listen, they're like, people are very communicative with us. They actually are like sending emails and putting stuff in the comments. Um. In my experience, the online campaigns that we see waged where people are, you know, set on fire online are very often um either started by or are a majority of women. And I could be wrong here. I mean, and I probably am. I'm, I'm not as Yeah, I don't know. I don't stuff. know that
1: I'd have to think about this more. Like yeah. the, like you're throwing out some some, well, some here's what it is. that that seems
0: okay. based how many on times your own. How many times have you heard people say, listen, men, you got to stick up for men versus listen, women, you've got to stick up for other women.
1: What is that saying? Hell is not supporting other women. Yeah. There's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women, said Madeline Albright, who did not support other women.
0: I just, I find it, I mean, I've, I've had this said a lot. It's like, if you don't, if you don't say, if it's like, if you're not for us, you're against us. It's like, no, that that's actually not, that's not how that works. Right. There's not two sides here. You know, I might have thoughts that are a little more nuanced or I think there's a middle ground or it's something that I'm not interested in. You know, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't see, but I, you do see that kind of support women for women. So we do have a lot of these kinds of campaigns and they are, women come to the support of other women for good and also for ill.
1: That's- Women are such master communicators and they are such networkers and they are such master manipulators for all these reasons. Yep. Um, also, I'm going to start the hashtag listen men, let's stand up for men. Oh, <laughs> I was going to start the I love, hashtag I love men. <laughs> but that's, that's-, that's-,
0: that's-
1: listen some- men. Just, I'm just gonna tweet it after this. Listen, men, let's stand up for it's men. So,
0: this happens. so, they'd just be so, like. So, they just
1: be like. just be like blank stare emoji. They'd do just you be remember like, what?
0: we were talking last time about um, when the sort of the sort of cultural things that we see really in flower now, or maybe even not so much in flower now as they were a couple of years ago in terms of different activist causes. And we were talking about the Duke lacrosse case and how that was 2006, which is quite a bit sooner than we would, you know, peg a lot of these cultural moments, you know, me too. And um, I remember I was still in L.A. at the time. And one of my editors there, a good friend of mine, um, it turned out just at that time, like it was all, it was basically all women pretty much for this one moment in time when he was one of the senior editors and, and actually like really cool women, but apparently at this one particular moment, like he brought up one story idea and he got looked at so freaking hard with like the laser beam, feminist eyeballs he said he actually he just like cupped his
1: balls he's like sorry what was the story
0: <laughs> i don't know but he's just like oh it was kind of like he could like just feel them shrink up yeah. um anyway it was funny but yes we do we love women too well, But um, I, 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 I
1: have some. i have something to say earlier in the conversation you said you know women are finally able to make their voices heard and i wondered if you meant amber heard boy girl that's some
0: segue you ever think about like doing this for a living?
1: <laughs> I do do this for
0: a living.
1: Subscribe.
0: Save so my cat. Go yeah, go for it, lady. There's a lot there's a lot of stuff here. Go for it.
1: Amber Heard. Well, there's so many things to say here. I had not watched the the most recent day of her testimony, which was the final day of her testimony uh, last week when we last spoke. And so I watched a little bit more of that. I found some of it quite like, like there's a lot of hot takes around her performative nature. She seems like an actress. She might be making all this up. All of that is possibly true. I don't know. I will tell you that I found much of this testimony to be a painful eyewitness account of what happens to someone who's in, a relationship with an addict because Johnny Depp is absent for so much of it. Uh, For instance, at her engagement party, he disappears and goes upstairs and does drugs with her dad. Oh my God. Oh my, sorry. I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked at that, but I am. I mean, yeah, because her dad is like also a Depp stan. And, oh you know, and he's addicted to the same stuff that Johnny is. Um, and they're probably like the same age, too, or close well, to the same age. They're, they're probably possibly closer yeah. in age. She tells a lot of stories around uh, the filming of a movie called Mordecai in London. I'd never even heard of this movie in I 2013. Did. But, like, he was so out of it. I think this is like his Roxycodone days because, like, he is like out of it. Like at some point he's being carried like a baby by a security guard because he's so drunk and sick. Um, you know, but, but it's interesting. Um, he won't do a prenup with her. Th- this was a really interesting twist. She wants to do a prenup because she's getting a lot of flack about how she's a gold digger from uh, his fans. And she wants to push back, on the possibility that she is perceived that way. So she thinks a prenup will take care of it. He, the one with the island and the millions of dollars, refuses to do this because I think whatever you think of Johnny Depp, he is a died in the wool romantic. And he says to her, the only way out of this thing is death. And <gasps> that is a very romantic story, like romantic in the classic sense, that gets recast as he's totally controlling and going to kill her. Um uh, what do you say when you take your marriage vows? Till death do us part. So then- that's coercion. I think you and I know that's gaslighting. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding you. Um, I just, I just wanted to see where that went. Excuse me? I just wanted to. Yeah, I just throw that out there. Um, you know, remember she gives him a knife after a lot of this alleged abuse that says, I think in Latin or Spanish, I can't remember, "Till death do us part," um, something, something like that. Death is the only way out, or something like that. Um, this is I, I have I was looking at my notes this morning and I was fall again, once again, this is my problem. I keep falling asleep and waking up during the testimony. So I get most of it, but I will I will f- fade out. But this one part I just have under the filming of the Adderall Diaries in May 2013. He hated, hated James Franco. <laughs> That's all I have in my notes. That was Amber saying that Johnny Depp couldn't stand James Franco. Which I thought was really funny because James Franco is totally like a Johnny Depp type, right? So he would feel very, very threatened by this, like, artsy, interesting, hugely versatile, hot, young thing that was coming up in the ranks. Do you think that
0: that's true, that he hated him? Or do you think that maybe, because I'm assuming, I didn't see The All Diaries, I'm assuming that Hurd and he were, like, romantic interests in the movie, that maybe she, like wanted to stoke a little bit of competition for herself
1: yeah uh, absolutely possibly very possibly um i will say that a lot of people hate james franco oh okay. like a lot so, of okay. people because he wrote a book <laughs> he went to an mfa program like he is perceived by i've i i remember really liking james franco back in the day because i just thought he was like more interesting than actors had to be and, yeah. you know, kind of like Ethan Hawke, it's like, well, he, you know, he could just be an actor, but he's these other things. Why do you care if he's, you know, whatever? Um, but people really despised him. I never really quite got to the bottom of that. Um, it's kind of like people despise Gwyneth Paltrow. God, they really hate her. Um, which is weird because it's like, God, she's beautiful and nice and I don't know, who cares? Did you,
0: did you fall for the diaper scam last week? I don't know if I fell for it, but uh, my daughter... What's, Okay, so my daughter sent me a little thing on Instagram uh, messaging of this like a dozen diapers for like one hundred and twenty dollars, and they're put out by Goop, and it's got like special woven this and that with scents that made a lot twelve diapers, right? So I I stuck a picture of it on Twitter and I tagged three people that we know that have babies: Mary Catherine Ham and Camille and uh, Emily Zanati Zanati, and uh, they were like, "Oh my god, this is real." Like, we're like because you could imagine Goop doing this. You could imagine Goop putting out a and it was called like the the diaper with like an accent on it or something. Well, it turned out it was like a supposed to be like a little promo prank to 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 protest the high cost of diapers or baby formula, but it just didn't it just didn't it kind of didn't land. But
1: anyway, it was kind of goofy. I never all. do that stuff. I will never tag anybody. And even if it was like everybody gets a free car, I will be like, I don't, I won't do this. Well, oh, my I, friends I, are gonna miss out on it. It's for the free fun. Cars.
0: It's for fun. We no. just, do it. no, no I just okay, feel like I'm it's not
1: fun. Oh, I'm just tainted as a little pill of poison I've injected into you. Like Every time I get those chain letters, they were going around during the pandemic, and I was just like, don't, I don't do those. Do I don't this do this to me. And no, you're going join no. my Ponzi scheme. No. We're all gonna send books and I'm gonna send a book and he's no. gonna send a book and she's gonna send a book. Everybody's gonna have books. I don't need more okay. books. Now, just take me off now. Take me if, off your chain letter. If it um, were cookies, if it were cookies. I don't need yes, that's better. That's now, better. I, but can I just tell you? Yeah, I don't need a bunch of cookies.
0: But we are gonna have something. We haven't figured it out yet, but we are gonna have some sort of like little uh incentive here that for whatever the first 10 the 10th person that signs up whatever I am going to send them some cookies
1: oh you're doing that now you're laying that down now I'm just
0: I I haven't I don't have the details yet but I will tell you I brought two pies we we left uh Houston yesterday morning and my husband's like do you really need to bake two pies before we leave I'm like yes I do and I did and we brought them to dinner and everybody no no one is unhappy when a woman walks into a party carrying two pies I'm I'm just telling you that's how it is
1: okay next topic I just I just wanna I just I think that you need to be like a, put a little bit more of a finer point on this. You are going to make cookies.
0: I'm gonna make cookies. So how For about the, the first ten or the ten? No, I can't do that because that, no, that turned out much, to be like a much. hilarious I did that with my my other substack. I had a premium level where I would send you baked goods and it wound up to be I wound up losing money. I was trying to make But yeah, like how about like um, the 10th person that signs up for a paid subscription and we know, we know how this works. Like we get an email telling us when, you know, someone is paid for a subscription. So how about from the time this releases to uh, the number 10, I'm going to send you cookies and some pound cake. How's that?
1: I just don't want this to disincentivize people because they're like, I don't want to be the first one because I'm not going to get the cookies.
0: Are you just going to whore me out, Sarah? What am I going to do? No,
1: no, 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 no. This is beautiful and wonderful, and I love you, and this is a great plan. And please sign up and get the cookies. Get the cookies. But um, real quickly, this is where she talks a lot about this Mordecai press tour in January 2015. In Tokyo, this is where she talks about him like wailing on her and she says she never had a fair shot and she even says he places a knee on her back and there's just some like wild stuff and then he gets sober and then we have this like trip to australia where somebody's finger or his finger gets cut off i still have not made sense out of every scenario i don't understand how even if she bashes a she bashes a bottle on the ground. This is according to the audio tape that I heard, which by the way, a lot of this audio tape is not admissible in court because California is a one consent state. I mean a two party consent state. Right. Right. So if you took secret audio, you can't use it. So a lot of the audio that's available on videos and things like that, you, the court won't hear it. There's a really amazing audio of the aftermath of the Australia massacre, bloodbath thing that happens and it's really unclear like she says he cut off his finger she, he says she she threw a vodka bottle i cannot figure out how you throw a vodka bottle and lop off somebody's finger
0: well okay so i'm not a i don't know a whole bunch about velocity but let's say If your instinct, if somebody is throwing something at you, your instinct is to put your hands in front of your face and your eyes. You're going to do it whether you want to or not, because that's what you need to protect. You need to protect your head and your head and your eyes. If it came at you and your hands were here and it came out with you with enough, the sharp edge, I think could, I don't know if it would completely lop it off, but you could get a pretty good, nasty cut, I, I would imagine. I mean, does he, have we seen pictures? Is he missing part of his finger?
1: Yeah, there was, like, part of his finger at the end of a bar, at the bar. Like, it was, like, in well, a... Well, that would be... That and that had to go looking a... for I mean, it's really gruesome. Ugh, okay, well, it's really I, gruesome. I haven't... So, you know, so I, I still don't understand. I still don't understand this. But, um, I mean, you know, and then he, like, wrote on the mirrors in his blood. You know, he did this. This is, this it's is someone... It's so dark. It's really, really dark. Okay, so let's get out of there for a second. Um, You know, so I just wanted to give... Listeners who might not be following the case that closely, closely, like a sense of some of the physical allegations of abuse. You know, there was also one that he used a broken bottle um, and raped her with it. You heard that one?
0: I did not. But that is, that is, do you remember, this is, wow, this is like at the turn of the last century, this actor named Fatty Arbuckle. He, uh, there was apparently like some party and there was a young actress, a starlet, and they, they, she was raped with that and she died. Uh, and I there think was, he that's a prison honey, that's of the, that. That's
1: the the turn of the twentieth century. That's what I'm saying. The last yeah, you said last yeah. century. I thought you meant two thousand. No, no. no
0: um, but I mean, but, so this is interesting. Now, obviously, I have no it's idea. Nineteen like twenty. Yeah, something like that. The um, fatty
1: a no, case is friggin' dark, man. I thought he look, just had
0: a big thing. I think. I think it was a bottle. Ooh. That's my memory. But you know what? It is just so weird. Why would I have heard this as a child? Like I remember this story like
1: <laughs> little Nancy, being, let me tell yeah. you the story of Fatty Arbuckle and <laughs> Come the Come Sit on gran- grandpa's no, knee. On, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um but I wonder again now, okay? Obviously, um I'm sure this is this is a terrible terrible uh Thing to happen to anyone, any woman, or any man, and I'm sure it's happened multiple times. We don't know if this happened. We were not there. A jury may be hinging a decision based on this information or not. If it is true, it is a horror. If it's not true, it is appropriated. And we're kind of, you know, we're, we're circling back on appropriating the pain of others in order to forward your own agenda, which is to me disgusting and and has ruined so many lives with no, with blithe uncaring for the people that these things have actually happened to it's like faking cancer how about the people i talked about this last time how about the people that really have cancer like you know Laura Albert said to me well i know all of these things i said jt had I didn't have, but I felt like I had them. I felt like I was a teenage transgender prostitute. And so because I felt that way, I felt that I was deserving. Listen to this logic. Because I felt this way, I felt this desperate. I needed attention and sympathy. And Nancy and I, I felt suicidal like JT did. Like I told everybody in JT's voice, I felt suicidal and people helped me. Nancy, are you sorry you saved a life? That's the logic. So it goes back on you. If you feel betrayed in any way, it's on you. You shouldn't care. You shouldn't care if the story's true.
1: Interesting corollary to therapy rooms where one of the newer ideas uh, is that if you feel something, that's what matters, right? So, like, I've been told by more than one therapist, like, "Oh, your body will react. Like, it doesn't matter if you think you're in danger, you'll have the physical reaction of being in danger. So, therefore, it's just the same. So, like, if you think somebody's cheating on you, um, that is as bad as someone cheating on you, which is a is a really sort of wild logic.
0: It and it's also a real waste of time. OK, it's a real waste of your time Oof. and your therapist's Oof. time. But hey, if you want, hey, if you want to spend your money on therapy for something that's not real for 30 years, you know, go ahead. But that does not make it so.
1: Hot takes from Nancy Rommelman. I'm sorry. Rommelman. I, I'm
0: sorry. I, I, I don't I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of patience. I've seen so many lives. just I said this in the last episode and you skein this out and you know what you wind up with? You wind up with dead children that I read about. Okay. So that's where I'm not saying every case, I'm not saying, you know, this is going to happen with Amber Heard's case, obviously, but you, you, by, by pretending that you're in jeopardy, pretending that, you know, you're in imminent danger of being murdered or that you have actually have cancer when you don't, how is this helping the world to move faster and better? How are you helping the person that actually does have cancer? How are you helping the woman that actually is getting slugged in the mouth when you are now taking the resources that could have been going to her, but no, the police are going to give them to you and the therapists are going to give them to you and society is going to give you that sympathy because you kind of feel like that. Meanwhile, this person that might need it, that may not have the resources and the attention to get it, like the Grey's Anatomy writer, she's going to sit and spin. I'm sorry. I don't, I, I am not sympathetic to people that want to fake it. I'm not. I think they
1: might need help, for sure. So, so every once in a while, you know, I think I think the the overwhelming public sentiment is that Amber Heard is a fabulist of some kind, and it, it, it we have yet like this week is the cross examination of Amber Heard. It should start around noon today, which is Monday. Uh, I will be out in at the Fairfax County Courthouse on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And Fantastic. so I will see what I see, and, and we'll find out. Like, this is the, the sort of last act of the case, we think. Um, but I will say, um, every once in a while, I will be listening to her or reading something, and I'll think, holy shit, what if she's telling the truth? Well, I
0: think you've been very good about that. And I think you've been very, very good in terms of um, – People like you creep onto people's timelines or you read things where people are saying, Remember what happened to Monica Lewinsky, which I think is a vastly different situation. But okay, <clears throat> um, I think that that's, I think this is so important that you do keep
1: that open mind, even if it's because not we true. don't know, we yeah. don't know. And I, by the way. It, we're not going to know at the end of this case. no, the, the we're jury not. will render a decision, but there are so many things about court cases that remain mysterious even after a verdict has been rendered. And we will never know the truth of this relationship. And, you know, I do think that if she is nudging details, I don't think this is a hundred percent. That I don't I don't yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it okay. is I think there are elements of this that are true I think she is failing like and you know to take responsibility for a lot of her own behavior because she was quite a drinker too there was some wine bill that I, I oh man oh two I can't remember of, what it was it was like two bottles of wine a, a night and they were five hundred dollars each which, which is a, okay well, well, Graham, wine, she might have had friends only, but like still okay. even so it's like holy it was like and, a half a million dollar wine yeah bill it was it was like a lot yeah. And so, you know, I, I just I don't see a person taking responsibility for their behavior. Now, I will also say I don't see Johnny doing that either. But it's unclear to me if some of that is advice of counsel, because I will say that once you get into these arenas, you know, if you give an inch like somebody else is going to take a mile. But I don't want to get too weighed down there. I guess my point is every once in a while I think to myself like oh my God, what if this is, tr- she's really telling the truth and this would be such a nightmare. Well, this would, would also- be such a nightmare. And and so I do understand people that are really decrying the florid social media support for Johnny Depp and the the trashing of Amber Heard. Well, if she were telling the truth,
0: it would be a textbook case of man with a lot of power and money, uh woman with less power and money though. Yes. I think, I think, I think, uh, you know, sort of in the aggregate, she's pretty well off, yes. <laughs> you know, compared to like most people. Um, but the fact that historically uh, the person with the money and often that has been uh, the male yeah. um, is able to get his way, not just legally, Um, but in the court of public opinion. And that is, I think, why we often, and to a certain extent correctly, will say, hey, wait a second, we, weaning women or or anybody who's been oppressed, in in air quotes, um, for too long have not seen justice done when they should have been because Because power rested with one particular group. And if this happens again, if she was telling the truth, then we're just, we're not making any progress. So I get that. But the problem with, with, with wanting to go, with wanting to, two wrongs don't make a right. Okay. If we did things badly in the past. That doesn't mean we do them badly in the other direction in order to make it even out. That, that that will never even out. That's just making it bad in the other direction. So we'll we'll have to see. I mean it's up to jury. Not that juries are perfect. I mean we we all lived through the O.J. Simpson trial. I would say that most people believe O.J. Simpson is guilty. But for the cultural moment, they needed the story of his not being guilty to be true. Um so well, let's see O.J. Simpson's
1: wife didn't live through the O.J. No. Simpson trial. No, she didn't she didn't, but you that know, was you're-
0: less important apparently at that moment in time. It was And you know, the LA cops, let me tell you, I lived in LA at that time. They were not, they were not Sir Galahads. Okay. There were big, big problems and people were pissed off. It became extremely racialized and people were like, you know what? We're not, we're not going to let one of our heroes fall because, you know, we, we have enough doubt.
1: Or I watched an interesting getting, I don't know. I watched an interesting movie over the weekend prepping for my um, trip to Depp Herdland. I watched a two thousand and nine movie called Public Enemies. Okay. Have you heard of it? I don't think so. Maybe. It's a Michael Mann movie about John Dillinger. I love Michael Mann. So that's so interesting. I was really trying to figure out, do I like Michael Mann or not? Because he has a very distinctive style that I, I admire. And there's a forward momentum to the movies. Like, like when it started, I was like, I want to go back and find out how John Dillinger became John Dillinger. You're not getting any of that. There's not going to be flashbacks to childhood. There's not going to be like, there's just like a forward momentum to that movie. And the, the camera work is just incredibly dynamic. Um, but it is one of these movies, much like Michael Mann's classic film Heat, which I really, or really liked. To To live and die in L.A. Wasn't oh, that? I Michael have never Mann?
0: seen that. I God, I, now I have to remember if that was because that is one of my. Oh, that might be someone else. Yikes! Let me look this up while you're talking. Go ahead. Okay. Talk well, it
1: could also be maybe an entry for the Sarah Hepple Movie Club, but that's oh, to man. be determined. So, because I have not seen To Live and Die in L.A., um, it's amazing. I uh, so so heat is this story of, you know the two main characters. I believe it's been quite some time. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. They're both yep. on other sides of the law. One Not of the, directed I, by Michael Mann. William Friedkin. Okay, never mind. Oh, Friedkin of the Exorcist. Yeah. One of yeah. my yeah favorite childhood movies because yeah. I was just a weirdo. Oh, yeah. I was like "So I have to, weirdo. I
0: have to digress my husband who's sitting next to me in the bed, he was like 9 or something when the exorcist came out and he ditched school with some friends and they woke, they go into the movie theater and he's sitting there and the movie's just started and he feels something grab his shoulder and it was his
1: mother. Yeah. <laughs> she dragged yeah, him out, she out of the movie. She just like ah! Anyway, on, that's scary. Uh, it's scary that a nine-year-old was seeing The Exorcist. It's scary that wow. his mom's hand came out of like ambush. It's uh, everything scary about that story. I saw The Exorcist when I was thirteen years old, and I was just like, "This is amazing. I need more." And it's like, wh- this is like uh, for like I I don't laugh exactly, but like when my my friends who have kids are like, "Oh, you know, they I don't want them to watch Frozen. It's a little too intense." I'm just like. Dude, yeah, I was I was drinking and watching The Exorcist at thirteen. Not that I'm a good example, but uh, but I did grow up interesting. I think and, my daughter's tenth
0: or eleventh slumber party. I think it was Ten, we we showed them Rocky Horror Picture Show.
1: Oh, that's fun. That's you fun. Know, they liked it. Um, yeah, of course, that's a fun movie. Um, okay, so back to the story at hand. Public Enemies is about John Dillinger and his gang. And his bank robberies and his romance with a woman played by the beautiful and lovely Marianne Cotillard. Who oh, I just, she's incredible. You know what? You kind of remind me of her a little bit. You have oh, a little Oh, bit. my God. Yeah. I yeah. love so She's amazing.
0: When my book, which has not, my book uh, um, To the Bridge has not been turned into a movie or anything, but of course yeah. there's always talk of that. And they're like, yeah. who would you like to play your character? I was like. Marianne Cotillard.
1: Totally. <laughs> She's
0: so beautiful. She's so beautiful.
1: So she plays John Dillinger's um, you know, kind of like doomed love or oh. their love is doomed in this story. I was so into the love story of this. Like it was there for the women, and I was just like, I'm hooked by this love story. Mm. Um but anyway, uh the movie is is very good. It it describes, it sort of illustrates the creation of the FBI. Because this is when twenties? is it the 20s? No, it the, oh, then it's the not the 30s. 20s, it's the 30s. Okay. It's the yep, 30s. Yep. It's a couple yep. years into the Depression. Yep. And, you know, this is something that, like, all these gangsters became folk heroes for a couple yep. reasons. One of them was that the press was writing about them in a mythologized way. You know, John Dillinger was often portrayed as, like, a Robin Hood type that would give money to the people that he robbed. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that during the Depression, the banks had really become the bad guys. You have to yeah, realize sure, that banks sure. were foreclosing on farms. And, right. you know, I know a lot of this because I did story a story about Bonnie and Clyde, who are from the good town of Dallas, Texas. And, you know, they were really two-bit criminals. They have an amazing love story, but they were mostly mythologized by dime store novels after they died. Um, and, you know, they were mostly... Uh, A a subject of interest because the papers who needed to that were competing with each other and needed to sell uh, used their story. So the idea that 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 social media or whatever is leveraging the pain of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard for whatever collateral that is not a new concept that is only a new platform, you know, celebrity and crime and carnage and all of this has been used as entertainment since the beginning of the printing press and you know in this case it's really the beginning of serial like like dime store paperbacks and co- comic books and things like that okay so that's who's mythologizing dillinger Um, But the idea of the movie, which is one that I find very compelling, is that there's basically there's good guys and bad guys on both sides. This is probably one of the biggest cliches of cop movies. I also find it to be true. Having known and loved a cop and known and known uh, guys that have been in prison, um, I can tell you that I understand that the binary of good and bad and black and white is just is just not as simple as we want it to be. So Christian Bale plays the counterpoint to Johnny Depp's John Dillinger. Uh, His role is a noble one in a broken system, and you can see it work on him and start to change him and break him. It's a great movie. Um, It's also, by the way, based on a book by Brian Burrow. The Austin oh. writer who oh. wrote one of your favorite books, oh. Days of Rage.
0: That's a good segue. Yeah, Brian Burrow. So um, I kind of, I, I for some people, I'll put some links here for people that don't know this. I covered the protests in Portland in 2020. I lived in Portland for 15 years from 2004 to 2019. And, um, you know, was very interested in how these anarchistic movements, you know, grow and what happens to them. I mean, I'm watching things happen and, and they're they're still sort of happening in Portland to a certain extent. Anyway, I picked up Days of Rage by Brian Burrow, which, which charts the sort of um, anarchistic movements across the country, but very much San Francisco and New York in the uh, late 60s, 70s and early 80s quite violent people forget how many bombings there were i lived in new york city at this time but when i was a kid like i just don't really remember i think i do remember one time my father who worked down on wall street at 120 broadway i do remember him like having to come home because there was a bomb scare either in his building or a nearby building but i was reading this book i mean there were bombs all the time
1: and bomb scares and i asked we, my mother we grew up, I, did you have a bomb like we had bomb protocol did you have that no we had fire okay. drills yeah, We, we had did fire have drills, protocol. but we also had like bomb protocol. Am I making that up? I don't think so. We did not. I, I don't remember that. But if this was interesting. I said to my mother, do you remember all
0: these bombings? I mean, she was a New York City woman. She was like in her 30s and she doesn't even remember because they were so much sort of a fabric of what was going on at the time. Um, but what's interesting is obviously we still see a lot of progressive stuff going on in San Francisco, including... Um, two of the Weather Underground, the big sort of anarchistic movement started by, you know, college students, they two people were put in jail for murder because they murdered, I think it was was it a police officer? Yes, during the whole thing. Anyway, that's in Brian Burroughs' book. Their son, Chessa was adopted into another Weather Underground couple and he raised them. He is now the DA of San Francisco. And he has been so unbelievably progressive that the city is pretty enraged in the policies that he's put in. I went out there for the school recalls. I'll put a link here in the show notes to an article that I wrote about that which was really pretty interesting. Uh the school board, they were incredibly progressive school board members like during COVID, they were not interested in getting school kids back in school. They were very interested in renaming schools and spending money to tear down murals that they felt were historically racist. People people are begging. They are begging for the schools to reopen. No, absolutely not. And if you want your children to go back to school, basically you're a racist. Well, the people they were telling this to overwhelmingly were two communities of Chinese immigrants who come to this country and work themselves, you know, to the bone in order to get a good education for these kids. And these people, including some people I interviewed, very grassroots organization- people, got it on the ballot to recall these, these um these school board members and then some of the tech bros got involved. Anyway, they were recalled by something like better than 50%. Looks like Chesa Boudin is also going to be recalled. And I am going, you're heading to, uh, you're heading to Virginia to cover the debt per trial. I think I'm going to head to San Francisco at the very beginning of June to cover the Chesa Boudin recall. Wow. See guys, we don't just blather here. We're actually doing, we're actually doing the news for you guys. We're too. doing the work. So we're, doing we're doing the work. We're doing the journalism. Okay. So, you know, um, all right, so we're we're at one twenty. What was else did we want to talk about?
1: Well, I know that I wanted to talk about women that support Amber Heard because I found yes. somebody. This was something that I had been saying over the last couple podcasts. I had not found the woman that came out in support of Amber Heard, and I found two this week, and ah. one was uh, thanks to a listener who tagged me in a social media post. And I appreciate that. And it was Julia Fox, the actress. Why,
0: did you ever, have you heard heard of this person before? I was like,
1: who, who? is Julia yeah. Fox? No. Yeah. And so I had to start like Googling. And then I was like, oh, right. Okay. She's the one that like was in those pictures with Kanye West and she was dating him for a hot second. It still means nothing to me, but okay. But she's one of these figures that, I mean, she is like a very beautiful and quite saucy on social media, like, you know, kind of rocker chic, but also like, you know, baby doll pretty at other times. And like, you know, during this whole um f- uh, uh baby baby formula shortage, Bet Midler, the legendary Bette midler had had tweeted, you know, you can just breast like breastfeeding is free. And yeah, she but- and Julia Fox got a got a lot of atta girls when she clapped back and was like basically like a lot of women can't breastfeed. So, um, so she's known for being a woman who speaks her mind, a woman that goes a little bit off script. Uh, and so she came out and said, you know, like I love Amber Heard and I support Amber Heard. And she also came out in support of this idea and I wish I had the thing right in front of me. I don't. But she she comes out with this idea that basically it, it's, it's this idea that there cannot be mutual abuse. Okay. And we've discussed this before. Um, okay. Here it is. This is her tweet. Wrong. She never had the power in the relationship. Hold on, I gotta put my glasses on because I'm an old person. I'm trying to read this like tiny t- tiny font. Okay, she never had the power in the relationship to be abusive to him. Did she hit him? Yes. Was it abuse? No. You need to have power to be able to abuse it. She was 25. He clearly was always way more powerful, including physically and financially. So this was her coming out and saying amber heard could not be an abuser even if she abused him i got to tell you i find this logic a little confounding like a little like and and i've 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 heard it from multiple people like on my instagram page people have been like oh this is true mutual abuse is not a thing and like they're like smart people that are you know thoughtful and they're sending me to like you know, like podcasts on psychology and like academic tracks. But I I just at the at the at the risk of just sounding a little bit glib here. No. Of course, there can be mutual abuse. What? Why would you? Why would you claim that there can't be mutual abuse? This is like a semantic argument that defies so much up op- like human observation.
0: <laughs> well, Sarah, people need things. They, they need things simpler, right? They need there to be a villain and there need to be someone to be blameless. I mean, the idea that you would look at the situation and say, yeah, she hit him, but that's, there's no, there's no abuse there. It's like how nuanced is the way that you think? Also, why would you not give her agency. Why, why would you not give her agency? Just, because I'm sure people are doing it the opposite way too. It's like, no, he's blameless and and she's not. You're. Well, they you're, are. Yeah, absolutely. And that, this was a, I mean, I don't know the degree. I think they strike me as very different people, uh, different tools in their toolkits. Um, there was abuse in both ways. Some of it seems passive. Some of it seems very active. It does seem to me in this situation, and I'm not trying to get you off script here because I know you have more to say about this. But if I were to like snap judgment, looking at this, he seems like a damaged person. Yes. Who whose abuse that he committed was like also somewhat passive or maybe like under the influence in this and that. Not that make that makes it any better. Hers, it seems like she's trying to make her part in this look blameless, and clearly this person believes her. Amber is convincing to her.
1: If if you go to the Reddit commentary on this, which is the only place I've found where like Amber Heard supporters will come together and talk to each other. They are all convinced that this is a smear campaign and there was going to be some eye popping documentary one day about how Amber Heard was dragged, you know, much like all these other, you know, Tanya Harding and Monica Lewinsky and all these other... And I'm not equating this with what one of our listeners no. said about Monica Lewinsky. She was making a more nuanced point about how we had we had all dogpiled on Monica Lewinsky, and maybe we shouldn't do that. I agree with her. Um, anyway, the other person that I found was through the Reporting Debt v. Heard podcast by Nick Wallace. He had someone on this week call, named Charlotte Proudman. She's a barrister from Britain. And, man, that was a fascinating interview. She had written a story for The Independent, a newspaper in England. I tried to find it, but it it was behind a paywall, and I was just like, "Ah, I'm not that interested. Um, But the headline says, why do people blindly support Johnny Depp? I'll tell you why. As a barrister, I see many victims of domestic abuse being sued for, quote, defamation, defamation, for daring to speak about what they're. Perpetrator did to them. Meanwhile, the world questions whether they're quote a real victim. Hold on, cough. <clears throat> um, Charlotte Proudman was fascinating. Um, she was very saucy. She was very well spoken, but very unwavering in her belief. And Nick Wallace did a great job interviewing her and pressing on some of her responses without seeming too, uh, contentious. Like it never got contentious. Maybe it's because they're both British. The Brits are just like so civil. <laughs> they can never like actually fight, but they, they, it was, you know, they were in calm contested territory because, you know, he has spoken to so many people and even yeah. survivors of abuse that are saying like, I identify with Johnny and she was fascinating when he would ask her about this cuz she would just say first of all she was like i don't understand why nobody uh, recognizes the high court of england and i was like first of all what i don't recognize the high court of england at all as a general rule and i apologize but i'm so deeply american that's just going to be how i roll she meant because there was that sun oh the sun article yeah the sun the, the article sun, the sun case that he lost right. Right, and you know, by the way, if you're interested in how that was different, check out the most recent podcast of Legally Dirty Blonde. She does a great job of breaking down how he lost that case, why he wanted this new case that had a certain element of discovery that the other one didn't. What was you know how English courts are different from from Americans, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, then what was so amazing is that. Nick Wallace says something like, well, I hear a lot of people that say, you know, they, they really, uh, recognize themselves in Johnny Depp. Are you kind of ignoring their lived experience? And she's like, yeah, like she, she just says yes. And then he goes, well, like, what was the response to the article? And she's like, well, I, I got a lot of great feedback from either side. And he's like, oh, really? You know, like, Seems like it, it, the the public is a little bit more pro Johnny, and she was like, you know, I really question how many of those people are bots. Like she just it was oh wow, full on, like it's not wow. really that that people are for Johnny Depp. It's that Twitter is full of bots. It's it's
0: it's, it's put Putin is always to blame. Let's just yeah. like that, that's it. So I, I want to say one thing. We're, we're 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 bumping up on our, our time here, so we're not going to get into it, but we will, I'm sure, in another another podcast. We we talked a little bit about my book and how I definitely yes! understand that the abuser will 100% of the time make the abused look like the actual problem here like actually she's insane actually she's the one that hit me actually she I didn't puncture her tires she punctured my tires so I will get into that another time but I that what what this uh, Charlotte Proudman is saying to a certain extent is true abusers will always try to make it look like they are the abused, but that's what Amber Heard is doing too.
1: Yeah. Well, the question is who's the abuser here. Yeah. Like that, it it goes both ways. Right. Um, Nancy Rommelman. Sarah Hepla.
0: Uh, I'm going to go get out. It's supposed to be like 98 degrees today. We've got a pool here and we're going to jump in it. And then before we head back, I'm going to head back to Houston. So, um, have a wonderful trip tomorrow and, uh, I'm sure I'll see you online in two minutes, but, um, exciting. We're, we're
1: both in Texas today. We're Texas yeah. girls today. I'll,
0: I'll try and find a nice uh, a nice uh, Texas uh, outro song for this particular
1: The stars that night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Texas.
0: <laughs> That'll be it. Okay, Sarah Heppala. We'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Bye. Why are you here?
1: It's almost forever. Now I'm
0: starting on your chin I went through your diary flipped through your phone but called all your
1: friends I just want to all- know